Welcome to the fifth quarter. Conversations beyond the X and O's with your hosts, Layson Perkins and Jeff Osterman. Join the journey as they learn from coaches, authors, military leaders, successful entrepreneurs, business people, and motivators. Joining us today on the fifth quarter, Conversations Beyond the X's and O's, is Dr. Pete Van Mullen. Pete is the professor at Lewis and Clark State College in Idaho. He is an author. His new book is coming out, is the biography of Coach Don Showalter. Uh, Pete has also coached at the college level and currently teaches. And so, uh, Jeff, I'm really excited. I had a chance to, I, I think I met, Pete, we met in 2000 at Duke Camp. Correct. And an amazing experience. So, so many people that we met that I still keep in touch with. Um, but um, but over the years, just following your career, going from coaching into academia, uh, it's just been exciting. And so we're just really looking forward to having this conversation. Thanks, Layson. Really appreciate being here. Really appreciate your time. You. Let's um let's start with the new book. Um, when did you first meet Coach Walter, and, and what was it with you know between between you know obviously your academic work, your teaching. Where did you find time to, to, to write a new book? <laughs> well, you know, I, I'll get to that part in a second. But I think the first first question you had there about, you know, how did this all kind of come together? Because um, anything, a project like this um, is something that takes a lot of different things to kind of fall into place to really kind of happen. Um, and I think what how it really started was the, the short story is that I was coaching about the time, a little after the time you and I met uh, at a small college in Kansas called Ottawa University. And uh, I was running, and you were part of that group. We had a group of coaches, kind of a network. Uh, and we were doing some things through newsletter. I was sending stuff out. And Don, Don Showalter was in that group. Um, and it was sort of before, I would say it was before LinkedIn. So, you know, if we would have just hung around a little longer or maybe, you know, stayed the course, who knows what would happen there because we, we missed that technology wave. But but essentially, um, he was part of that group. And we were running some coaching retreats, and I invited him down to speak. Um, and where he's at in Iowa, maybe six, seven-hour drive, um, he came down, did it for free. I mean, you know, didn't on a Saturday. Um, and I remember his comment to me was, like, I really appreciate you coming, you know, like, can I give you anything kind of thing? And he's, no, I, my, my wife shopped, and it's great. We're having a good time, you know. So, um, and that's just that's just who Don is. Um, but, but I think um, that was the first time I met him. And... He was kind of one of those guys, you knew he was a successful high school coach at that time. This is early 2000s, but you didn't necessarily, you know, he's not a, he's not a household name outside of basketball coaching. Like people knew who he was, you know, who he is, but that was so, but when he walked into that room and he presented, it was like, everyone just sort of went, wow, like this guy really knows what he's talking about. And I would remember the comments and stuff after just really, you know, and so you're just really impressed with Don when you're in his presence that way. Um, and so Beyond that, he was part of this group. And, you know, after I got out of coaching, I completely sort of lost touch of, of Don Showalter as far as wasn't connected with him at all and, and hadn't really even followed what he'd been doing. In fact, it was about 2017. I was doing some stuff with coaches and I was just thinking of different coaches that um, one could maybe present at our, our lecture series we do. So we do some virtual presentations at that time. Uh, and also just coaches I could maybe connect with and say, hey, can I help share some of your information with other coaches? Because uh, one thing I found as I got into sort of academia was that a lot of coaches aren't, um, they, they have good information, but they don't necessarily have the, the, the medium or the method to share it with other coaches because they don't have time or 
or just the means to do it necessarily. So I found that was kind of a nice way to, to connect back to coaching and, and maybe use some things I had at my disposal to help coaches share that information. So I just reached out to Don in an email. Um, and, you know, he's, he's really good about getting back to people. And I'm sure he just recognized the name from all the emails from the previous years or something. Uh, but, you know, and, and so he, he responded and, and we had a conversation and it was only at that time, it was just about sharing some information and that was it. And so when I kind of go back to my first comment about how a project like this sort of comes together, um, by a lot of different ways. Um, my interest in just what he was doing, sharing some of the things that he had been doing, his willingness to sort of open up to opportunities to do that. So the first thing I did is went out and watched his training camp. And again, no book had been discussed at all. This was just, what are you doing? What kind of information can we share? Um, then I heard about Snow Valley, Iowa. Um, and Snow Valley is, is, is a bigger story. Um, but just to keep it simple here, uh, Snow, he runs the Snow Valley Iowa camp, which is a spinoff of the Snow Valley California camp that Don worked for years. And I went out and watched that for a week and observed that for a week and actually did a, did a, wrote an article on that as well. Um, just because there's such a, there was such a, uh, the coaches working at camp had such a passion for the camp. And I know, Lason, we worked Duke camp and we had such a passion, you know, for, for working camp and, and connecting with people at camps over the years and those kind of things. But there was something different about the Snow Valley camp. I couldn't quite just, it was really interesting. So I just, I wanted to figure out what that was. Why do these coaches find it so powerful to go to that camp? And so I, that was part of the reason. So again, no book had been discussed, but it was at that camp 2018, summer 2018, where we had already kind of done a few things in terms of he'd shared some things. I'd done some interviews with him. Um, I learned a little more about his story and I, we just had a little conversation and it was like, Hey, let's do a book. I mean, that's kind of how it came together. Um, and then, so that's, that's how I know Don. It, it's not that we had, uh, you know, really much of a relationship in coaching or anything like that. Um, I think when I say things fell together, um, Don's personality and style, how he interacts with people in basketball, um, his willingness to be open up to the idea of having me, you know, take on this kind of a project with him, um, is it really speaks to who kind of who he is, um, but also then, you know, just me being present and doing some things to kind of build that, that trust with him too. Um, so it just took a while to get those things all kind of fall together. Um, uh, but that's kind of, how, that's how it started. No, J Jeff and I have talked about Snow Valley and, 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 and the days of, of the camps, you know, that, that, you know, that we worked and I know personally, my two biggest regrets is I didn't work Snow Valley and I didn't work five star, and I wish I would have, because you hear the stories. But, but talk about the snow, just, just that environment, because in my opinion, those were the two best teaching camps ever, and we just don't see that anymore. You know, I, you know, Snow Valley's still there, mm -hmm. and PGC is probably the closest. But but talk about that environment and what makes that so special and so unique above other camps. Yeah, for sure. I yeah, I love talking about that. That was a great experience to just go observe it and see what they were doing. Um, I'll, I'll try to do the short, the short version of that. But yeah, I mean, it, there's a history behind Snow Valley. You know, it started out in California by a guy net, by the name of Herb Libsey and Chuck Walker, actually. Um, and they ran that camp out there for a number of years. And, and so it kind of connects back to Dawn here, too, where um, it's in the book, you know, where, where Dawn was working camps uh, out at Don, John Wooden's camp. And there and he you know, found out that there was this camp through another coach at camp that he should go try. And so he ended up at Snow Valley. And so after a number of years, 
him and another coach named Jerry Slykehouse, who's a well-known coach out of Iowa, wanted to bring that camp to Iowa. Um, and so they worked with Herb Livesey to do that and got, you know, permissions and all those things. And so anyway, that's how that got started out there. So what is the camp about? Why is it so, what is the, your question? Um, you know, it's, it's the way they, they do the structure of the camp. First of all, I mean, the connection of the, the power of the camp for the coaches is it's a long day. So they're all going through something together and that's, you know, it's a, it starts as early as if I remember, cause I did the whole thing. I didn't work the camp. I was there the whole time, but it's like six 30 in the morning, six in the morning to, you know, 10 at night, there's something going on all day. And you're as a coach, you're more or less working most of that time. Right. Um, you know, with obvious breaks, but, but in general you're working and other camps are like that. Right. So there's that component. There are camps like that, but that's that component. That was really, so you are going through a long day together. Okay. But that there's similar camps to that, but what was different about it. And what I, what I really found was that, they have, you know, these instructional clinics and, and what they do with these instructional clinics is they'll have a coach, usually a coach that's a little bit more experienced, teach a clinic to the campers and other coaches will observe this coach teach. And then they'll do a breakout and those other coaches will help, you know, minister the drill that was taught and the skill that was taught in that session. Well, again, that's been used other places too. And that concept has been used, but at Snow Valley, there's kind of this mentorship component that goes on with it. So Coaches will get feedback on how they taught their session, you know, not, not a formal feedback, but they'll talk about how it went or they'll talk about with coaches. So an experienced coach might, might get some feedback from other experienced coaches. And then Don does this and Herb Livesey did this too. He'll allow a coach to a younger coach to teach a session and, uh, you know, and then he'll, that coach will get good feedback from, you know, experienced coaches have been working the camp for years. And so I don't know if I explain that well enough, essentially, you know, coaches is, is leading a session and there's a breakout, but there's other coaches watching him, this coach teach him or her teach this session. And, and so that mentorship component with the long day, just it, the coaches just speak so highly of that connection and they really are connected with each other throughout the year. And I, you do get that at other camps, um, but it was a little bit to a higher level at Snow Valley for sure. And I think that would have a lot to do with it, but also I think the biggest thing is the people running the camp. Um, Herb Livesey is a very different individual than, than Don Showalter, but both have a strong, strong passion for teaching the game. Um, and so, um, and Jerry Slykehouse as well. And so they created an environment that just really was focused on fundamentals too. So, No, I, th I think what you said right there, a passion for teaching the game is what separates everyone in, 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 in that situation. So observing Coach Showalter working with the national team, Obviously, he has the best of the best. He has the best players in the nation. Is there a special sauce? Is there anything that he's doing to get the, these, this group of, of, of our best players at that age level to bond together and to go and play international competition? Yeah. Uh, there, was a, there was a quote from one of the players. I can't remember the name of the player at the moment um, who said this to me. He said, the one thing about Coach Showalter is he was always – he was always prepared. Um, they knew he knew his stuff and they knew he was, you know, ready for the practice or the games or whatever it was. And he always let them be who they were too. And he always let them play. So there's a couple little things. Cause that was kind of like, what did you find when playing for him? And that was the first thing this person said, I can't remember the, who said it, but, um, and I think that's just one component of it. Um, that he earned their respect, um, because he, he didn't, he didn't demand it a certain way or anything. He just was good at what he could do. And that's kind of who, how Don sort of built his career. He, he did the best job he could of what, what he had. 
um, meaning what skills he had. And, and in that process, um, you know, he just got better as a coach, but he got opportunities. And when he got opportunities, he did the best job he could in those opportunities and he, and he just kept getting more opportunities. And so, yeah, his ability to connect with that group is just that he never, he was who he was. He stayed true to who he was. And the, and the players recognized that. That was a big thing they said. Yeah. Some of them. Pete, I think, you know, going back to camps for a second, what separates those two camps, in my opinion, because it's teaching, so the kids are learning, but also coaches, old, medium, young, are also learning because there's so much sharing of ideas. And I had ended up working at Kathy Rush on the women's side in Pennsylvania, and we would do 8, 10, 12 weeks, and you'd go out, you'd work hard all day. The people that bitched about working hard were the ones that didn't really want to learn. So, yeah. you know... We would go play ball at night, share ideas at the bar. You filled your car with gas. But I think what separates the really good coaches is that love for learning and teaching. So it's kind of dual. Did you get that feeling at Snow Valley by some of the not big name coaches working that camp? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Jeff. Because, yeah, it's not it's not like um, – and Don will say this too, you know – They've had they've invited coaches to come there, um, and the best coaches are the ones that really you know thrive in that environment. Aren't 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 big name coaches? Um, they're not the ones that you would you necessarily think that might might be the best teachers of the game either. Um, and so, um, what what he does so well there, um, and again, Herb Livesey did this too. And Don Don is really good about taking things from other coaches as well, like and, and using them and, and fitting it to who he was. But he kept the same the same. Theme on the sense that he would give younger coaches a chance at Snow Valley instead of just saying, I'm always going to bring in the same people. He, you know, a coach so much so that I know some of his directors would be like, we don't have any more room for any more coaches, you know, because Don really wanted to help. He really likes to help young coaches. And, and so he'd bring in a coach and um, that didn't have the experience and give him that chance in that environment. And so that it really allowed for that mentorship because the younger coach, he, they pair him up kind of with, with a, an older coach. And so it's, it's just all, it's all there in that week, you know? And I think that, again, you can get that at other camps, but I don't know if this is deliberate, you know, you just kind of show up and then if you're with a lace and like I show up and I meet Layson and, you know, but it was never, I don't think there's any planning going on. I think it was just, you know, we connected, but you know, I think there's more of that, um, which makes a difference. And we'll jump into it with youth coaching, but is it, if it's transactional, then you get your paycheck, you worked really hard, you look at it, it probably wasn't worth the hours but the transformational ones who learn so much, made connections, uh, it does make a huge difference. But going to Don a second with USA, where he's dealing with teenagers, and he's a few years past that, how does he relate? Now, of course, everyone wants to play their hardest and succeed, not only for him in making the team and the committee, but playing for USA. But how is he adjusted to relating to, you know, coaching teenagers at the highest level? You know, let me go, I'm going to go back to a, a thing an athletic director said of Don uh, when he was coaching back at a place called Central Elkator High School in Iowa. Um, actually, let me back up. It was an, it was an AD at, at Mid Prairie High School that said this, not AD, the principal said this at Mid Prairie, um, guy by the name of Jerry Beeler. Um, he said that, 
what always amazed him about Don is that he could coach in a game on a Friday night, uh, win or lose, emotional, whatever. He could turn around the next day um, and work with elementary school kids in a clinic. And it was like nothing was any different. Um, he was just ready to go and was there. Now, how does that relate to your question? Well, I mean, he, he seems to have this ability um, to, to adjust to the situation um, and relate to who he's working with. And again, it kind of comes back to what I said before. He just, people say he just never, he was always the same person. So he didn't try to be something he wasn't. Um, he just, you know, he just did what he knows how to do. But by the time he was working with those players, he really knew how to coach. And he, he would say, and one of the things he says a lot of is, um, you know, you never graduate from a skill. Um, and so he would, a lot of what they do with those players, I think was, is probably effective. And, and coach, Kay did this with the, when he was coaching them. Is you know they have the meetings. They'd have meetings in the classroom before they go out on the floor. Every, almost every session, if not every session, um, and they do things in that classroom to kind of prepare the athletes for what they're going to be not just working on, but like how they're going, why they're there, and why they're doing it, and what what's a, you know, a learning experience. And so some of these things in that in that environment, again, Don in a room like that, he's a teacher, right? So he's he gets them to understand kind of. They, they can understand him from that perspective. Um, so this whole concept, like this one example might be, you, know, you never graduate from a skill. Well, you know, he can use examples. Um, he'll give examples. I, I know he's given an example of Steph Curry, how much he shoots. And he can, he can use examples of players relate to, obviously, and, and say, this is what they do. And I think that why he's able to probably give really good examples is because Don has been in all those environments. I mean, he's a guy that, Another example from somebody who said from when he was at Mid Prairie High School in Iowa, I uh, asked him what he was doing that weekend, and Don was going to fly down and watch the Spurs practice and be with Greg Popovich and, and, and see what he was doing. And, and but nobody knew he was doing that, like in his town. They didn't. He wouldn't. He didn't promote that. Right. He just went and did it. And he was like, he was just always doing things and being in those environments. And I think it. So he had those examples and had those things to to share. And so not that he would say I was there or he would name drop, but he would just have the information. Um, and so I think that really, I think that really led to that credibility and his ability to relate. Yeah. Street cred. And he has uh, humility overflowing yeah. while you're doing the book. What's something now that a curveball you didn't see coming that you found out about Don? Good question. Um, ooh, that is a good question. Uh, I don't know that I, and I was thinking, yeah, I coming into this presentation, I thought, you know, they might throw me a curveball, something like that. Like, what'd you learn about Dawn? You know, <laughs> uh, going back, I'm going to go back to Layson's questions a little bit at the beginning. You know, uh, how do you have time for something? Because this was a long project. I told you 2018, and the book's coming out 2023. So, I mean, um, because it's been a long project, I think there's some things I've forgotten that I've learned about Dawn, you know, that I maybe obviously didn't think about back at that time um, when I first got into this, that's for sure. Um, I discovered some things that that maybe are interesting, you know, just his connection with Coach Wooden, um, how much they spent time with him, the whole family spent time with him, and, and just how much that was important to him and how that kind of guided a lot of how he became as a coach, just that he was able to balance. I think maybe that's why I discovered more than anything was just his commitment and ability to balance coaching and getting better as a coach, but also you know, against not just saying true to who he is, but also to being what he vows his family. And, um, 
again, another quote from uh, somebody I've, I've talked to was, you know, he could be in Greece giving a clinic the next day, be back in Iowa at his grandson's birthday, you know, and it's, he just walks in, he's at a birthday party. I mean, it's, he just has this, he, he, he prioritizes those things, uh, family, uh, and basketball and, and, you know, and then he's a faith-based person too. So he, he, all those things are important to him. Um, and he makes time for all of them. And I think that's, it's not easy, not easy to do, um, for a lot of coaches, right. Um, to stay, stay that way. And, and with Don's case, what sort of amazed me about it a little bit is that, I mean, he's doing the everyday coaching a high school team as, as we know is <laughs> not, you know, as a very time demanding, you know, he's AD teaching a class, coaching in the evenings, games, weekends, all those things, running camps, all those things. And he had great people working with him, but, but also he was growing as a coach and he still was able to maintain that, that balance. But I think it's important. I add one more thing on that, Jeff, because he's also been, he's also, I think he just recently, I believe it was last summer he celebrated, I think his 50th wedding anniversary and his wife, Vicki, I, I didn't realize until I got deep into this, how, how important she is part of that, his process. I mean, they're just, they're a team. I mean, they absolutely, she was, she traveled with the USA team. And, and so that, that, that's a big part of his, and he, he missed that, you know, that's a big part of his success. Yep. Pete, let's get into youth coaching. Um, this is an area that you have done a lot of research in. You've written two books around youth coaching and coaching development. We've seen the good. We've seen the not so good when it comes to youth coaching. Where are we screwing it up? Where, where, where are we dropping the ball when it comes to, to teaching young kids and, and creating environments in which ha- they, they have an opportunity to learn and have fun? Or is that too much to ask, you know, on top of, oh, let's try to win this thing as well? Yeah. Um, let me, first, first I got to make sure I say, give credit where credit's due because I've co-authored these books. So I, I've co-authors who are fabulous and done great work and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't take credit for by any means over them. But um, so, yeah, as far as, oh gosh, that's such a big question, Layson. There's a lot of different ways I can go with that one. But I think, I think um, part of it is that the culture is driven by what's above it. I mean, a little bit. And so that that's always going to impact. It. I mean, just as an extreme example, if you just took away college scholarships, then it would probably change the culture of youth sport. I mean, if there wasn't money to be had in college, I don't know that it would, different. We know that's not reality. It's not going to happen. But um, so I think those things are hard to just, you can't just ignore, you can't ignore reality. And I actually had a conversation with some coaches the other day in a group that we're working on some things, um, you know, that we can't ignore the reality that people want to win. And we can't ignore the reality that a coach's job is dependent on winning. And even at the youth level, I don't, I think, you, I think to ignore that is sort of naive. Um, I mean, they have to, they have to learn how to win. Um, the coaches have to learn how to win. That doesn't mean the focus shouldn't be on fundamentals and obviously and those things. I'm not saying coach should focus on winning. I'm definitely not promoting that. But I think to ignore that the coach isn't dealing with that. And so I think how do we help? In my mind, we need to help coaches get better at some maybe maybe learning how to win. It's, it's not given that you know how to win as a coach. And, and so um, because all these other things in coach education, uh, what we talk about a lot is all the other stuff. You know, a coach needs to be ethical. A coach needs to. Um, be aware of mental health. The coach needs to be aware of concussions. I mean, those other people help in those things. And all those are very, very important. And they get certified, they have to have certifications, you know, in their states to do all these things, um, which is super important. 
but that coach, man, I mean, they, they, in the moment, what do they have to know how to do? They know how to, know how to win. They got to know how to develop those athletes and they got to be able to have support. Um, that's just something we've been talking about recently. So that's on my mind. Um, as far as what I think what we need to do about it a little bit in terms of helping coaches. Um, I think there are two things going on there. I think we can help the coach. At least that's more my, my interest is like, how can we help the coach in this, in these environments versus so much, how do we change the culture of it? <laughs> Cause I think that's a huge, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure that that's, that's a whole, it'd be there different conversations. Um, yeah. No, I, I can see where it's different conversations, it, but you know, I, I, I think it's fair to say, there's enough X and O information out there. We've got plenty of X and O information, and God knows I've contributed to that over, over the years. But I think what we're missing is, like you said, understanding learning styles, understanding the, the right way to teach and to work with, you know, work with young athletes or athletes that maybe have certain you know, challenges you know, that are try, you know, who are doing their best, but you know, either, you know, from a, you know, just a learning challenge or maybe just there, there's physical challenges, you know, they're just, you know, they're not up to, you know, they're, 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 they're doing their best. You know, obviously USA basketball has put together standards. We know FIBA has certification programs for coaches. We know certain countries have, you know, their coaches must go through vigorous levels of, of training. Is that the answer? I mean, do, do we take a, a mix of all the different models that we've seen from European countries and, and other federations and kind of try to create something like that here? Yeah, other countries are doing maybe a better job on some of those, some of those fronts, um, what they require some of their coaches to do. And certain sports require coaches to have certain levels. Um, I've always believed that that coaches would feel more supported if they could walk in um, with to a job like a high school job, and if they had certain certification levels for their sport, and the AD could support them and look at parents and say, "We can't get a level three coach here. This is a level three coach, and as long as they're ethical, we're not going to get rid of them for losing a few games." You know, and, and so I think though I've always believed that would be helpful um, because I think administrators need to support their coaches, and I think it's hard. You know, the good ones do, but not all of them do, um, and so if they had something that, that would help them support coaches, I do believe that could be, that could be helpful. So some sports do have certification levels um, and uh, you know, basketball doesn't. Um, and so I, I think, you know, that, that would be a, a starting point to be helpful. As far as the coach, going back to your other question about things they can do. Um, one thing is just understanding your player, you know, understanding who you're working with and who you're fighting for. I think a little bit, I always think that's part of the leadership thing is, you know, you're a coach, you obviously fight for your players. Um, in leadership, who are you fighting for? You got to know who, who you're, you're representing. But I think in, you know, with coaching, that's kind of obvious. But, but you do have, um, what, why are they there? I mean, I think that goes to a lot of levels. I don't think it has to even be, you know, for, you know, elementary school kids. It's, do you know why your athletes are actually at your practice? I mean, why they're playing your sport? You just assume that they're there because they want to be a great, you know, a great player or just want to do, you, you, we make assumptions, I think. Um, and so I think it could be really helpful for a coach to, to get to know the athletes. Um, I don't think every athlete wants a relationship with their coach necessarily. I mean, just in terms of, I remember as I never looked at my coach to have some sort of dialogue. I just wanted to play hard and play for my coach, you know? So I think there are a lot of, I think there's a wide range of athletes who need where they need that more relationship or not. Uh, but that's a big movement in, and coach education is making sure you're, you're connecting with your athletes, you know, talking to them, getting to know them. But I, I always, I guess I take it a step further. 
just know why they're there. I always use the example, I coached middle school girls basketball and I have, I have a list, I don't have it in front of me, but I had a list of all the th- reasons why I think those, you know, the girls would be there and they're not all the same. Right. And, and, but that helps you as a coach knowing kind of maybe how to approach um, your goals too. Um, and how to react maybe more importantly when things don't go what you, maybe you expect them to, to go. Um, and, you know, you expect they all love the game the same way you do. And I, I remember that as a coach, I still remember to this day, I was, I was so frustrated after a game because the team I was coaching just didn't love the game as much as, as much as I did. And I thought they did because I was such a young coach. I just think everybody did. That's why they're playing, you know? And I think so um, that that's, that's one thing that I think is important. Yeah. There's so much good research that has come out over the years and, you know, we, we've gotten books from, you know, you know, we, we've got growth mindset. We've got Doug Lamov's books. We've got Dr. Wade Gilbert's books. We've got you and your core authors books as well. What would you say is the maybe the one development that has had the biggest impact on coaches in in the the biggest or most positive manner? In terms of information, do you mean? Well, yeah, just maybe in terms of information or discovery that now you know this. Obviously, this was something we didn't talk. You know, my, our coaches, you know, that we played right. for growing up. These coaches didn't talk about this, so they didn't discuss this. I'm thinking mental health, the importance of mental health, but maybe it's something else. Yeah, well, the mental health issue is is definitely a current topic by by all means, um, an important one. I don't know, you know, five years ago if it was even really much of a topic at all. Um, I, at least I don't remember being. So I think um, I don't know that I have a. If there's a one thing that's really that I've seen that's come out. It's sort of, I mean, we're we're becoming a little bit where there's almost too much. Inf- this is why I kind of said at the beginning, it's almost too much information. I think you kind of hinted like, how do we put all this stuff together? That's the thing that's been a big challenge for organizations is how do we, there's so much information out there. There's X and O information, but there's also just a lot of information on all these other topics around coaching. Um, we're not really at a lack of information necessarily. It's more, how do we deliver it and help coaches in, in, in so they have access to it. Um, and so I, I think that the change is access or maybe the biggest change is there's just the access to information is there too, because you can find it in a lot of places, but not knowing, knowing where to go and what's credible is, is challenging. Um, and so I think that's kind of where we're facing a little bit with, with coach education right now. It's just what's credible, what's not. Um, Cause I can put information out and is it credible or, right? I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, and, and so that's hard. Well, something you alluded to earlier is that, you know, depending on the, your, the, geography of the country you may not have qualified coaches or experienced coaches there you just have someone who's maybe you know maybe good with kids who comes in and, and kind of helps to fill that role i you know i mentioned the other night in a podcast that we did that i worked in a school system where 80 percent of the coaches were non-faculty so you know this is someone who's maybe owns a business who has their day-to-day demands of running the business, now they're coming to coach the team, now they've got all these other things that you're asking them to study and do, and it's just only 24 hours a day. So I, I you know, I, I know that it's got to be a huge challenge. It is, um, and that really comes back, that kind of falls back to the organization that's running those programs to think of how they can better deliver uh, what the coach really needs um, and what can be, what's doable. Because uh, there's the, the requirements. I think there's two things there too, right? There's the requirements to coach. Like you got to be knowledgeable about certain things. So safety. So nobody gets, you know, no one's hurt physically or mentally. Um, but then there's just the coaching part, right? 
Um, if I'm coaching youth soccer, it's, I got to go through those, those trainings to make sure I'm providing a safe environment, but then do I actually know how to coach soccer enough to give them a good experience? And so I think this, those, they do the trainings through online modules or online certification courses a lot of times, because that's the most efficient way to do it. And it reaches those, that clientele, but then, but then as far as the, the coaching stuff, there's a lot of different ways those organizations do that. I mean, they might have a clinic, those kind of things, but it, I mean, it's just a short-term thing, right? And so that's about, in some ways, that's 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 better than not doing it all because I know that some some organizations don't do any of that stuff. They just do what the safety stuff, and they don't even do any coaching. They say go find essentially go find it online, right? Um, so at the minimum, you should you should have some kind of coach instruction clinic um, session that that those coaches can at least get some basic basic information in, but. I can just remember, you know, coaches huddle talking that when things don't go well, either in practice or games, the biggest thing you would hear is how ah, the kids have changed. They've gotten soft. They don't love it. You know, experience kids changed or is that a cop out? Yeah, what I've heard a lot of, I think that's a question that comes up a lot in, in just discussions, I think, is, you know, if kids, and as you guys are alluding to, the, if kids change, I think they're what they're exposed to has changed. And so maybe how they interact with each other or how they communicate obviously has changed. And so those things are changes. And I think it kind of goes back to what you said earlier about how do you connect as a, a coach that's been doing it for, you know, a number, number of years. Um I think recognizing that those are mediums that you need to, to be engaged in in some way, um, maybe not to, uh, you don't have to go to the level. That, I mean, I'm not on, like kids are on TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. You know what I mean? Like, you know, but I think, you you know, there's those being, being, um, being aware that their environment is different. Um, I think is, is a big part of that. Um, I'm just going to throw in a coach here and, and, and somebody that, Maybe Layson, you've heard. Maybe you guys have heard of. I don't know if you guys have heard of Ron Slaymaker out of Kansas, um, longtime Emporia State coach. He's maybe eighty. I don't, I'm gonna get his birthday wrong here, but I think he just turned eighty-five. I think he's coaching a girl high school girls team in Kansas. Um, he's eighty-five. He's been coaching about sixty-four years, and uh, Coach Slaymaker, you know, is a head college coach for twenty-eight years. Uh, very successful Hall of Fame coach, um, and he's still coaching and. He took over a team and they were bad the first year, but he finds a way to relate to these young women who he never coached women until about 10 years ago when he took over a high school team. Um, and so I, I always think of him when people ask about, you know, if kids change and all these things. And I, I watched him coach a practice. I'm just like, it's, you know, you, and they all, and these coaches, the older, the coaches that they've done doing it a long time, I mean, they always, they always seem to say that, you know, kids really haven't changed, just their environment's changed a little bit, but they still want those same things. You know, Pete, and I think to better myself as a coach, you know, of course you could get videos on one three one zone, whatever it is. But the more I taught, I really had to learn how my kids learned. You know, some could see the play on paper. Some could watch it on video. Some you could talk through it. Some had to, you know, do the walkthrough. But I think that's a challenge as a coach. I may want to be the best baseline out of bounds coach there is. But one of the things as I got older, I wanted to make sure my kids understood it. You know, if 
you know, if nine out of 10 kids know the play, I probably taught it pretty well. If, you know, five out of 10 didn't, I wasn't a good teacher. But don't we as coaches have to look in the mirror and find, you know, how is Layson learning this play? And that's through discussions. Yeah, and, and maybe, you know, recognizing that they might need it a different way too, um, you know, and either using technology or other ways you can teach it. I think that as teachers, um, you know, I'm in the classroom every day. Um, it's the same thing, you know, the, what, what is the famous, you haven't taught until they've learned, right? Coach wouldn't. I mean, if you're really being honest with yourself, I, that's hard to do. I, as a teacher, I think it's hard to do. Like, did I really, you kind of get, why don't they getting this? Why don't they understand it? Um, in a classroom of 25, 30 students, you know, probably not all of them are going to understand it, even if, you know, it's really hard, but you got to, you, know, you have your team. And so I think, um, but that goes back to what I think, understanding why they're there a little bit, understanding who they are, um, understanding what they're capable of in terms of just, if you get to know them, you know, well enough. Um, I think sometimes we just, we just sort of will ourselves through things a little bit as coaches. I, I think coaches, coaching personality is to sort of fight through um, and kind of will things to happen. But I, I, more I've, I guess I've been involved in just, away from it and working with coaches and talking with coaches that just, I think that um, that personality is there, but being recognizing your reality is important. Um, and, and just that you, everybody's situation, everybody's environment's a little different. Um, you're, you're in a situation. Do you know what that situation is? Do you know your reality, um, what you're expected to do and those kind of things and adjusting to that instead of saying, I'm going to create this or I'm going to make this happen. Um, that's okay to have that personality, I think, but, but then also recognizing it may not all work exactly. Or, you know, if you step away from it, it might not work at all because you're the one that was driving it and, and maybe that environment doesn't sustain that. Um, so I guess maybe a long way around what you're asking me here, Jeff, but, um, but I think it does go back to knowing those athletes, I think a lot and, and coaches who really talk about that. I was watching a, a coach practice a few weeks ago, um, college coach, he's doing a, doing a great job with this program. Um, really turned it around and, and, you know, just talking about the different athletes, it was just interesting to hear him talk about, he, he definitely knows them because he's just like, you know, yeah, this guy's a little this way and this guy's this way. And, and I think that's, you can tell he knows who they are and what they can bring. And so I, I do think, I think most coaches do a pretty good job of that, but especially when they, when it's their day, day job, but I think it's harder when you're a youth coach um, and you're not, you know, not around them as maybe as much. Right. At the college level, I remember one player who was an alpha that I couldn't go and challenge publicly, you know, in front of teammates, you know, so my go-to line as I got older, I wouldn't have done it as a young coach was, are you going to let me coach you today? You know, in front of your peers, yeah, you kind of get them back on your heels, you know, and I love the example of the pre-practice classroom. And I loved using that because you can answer questions of, you know, the opponent or how we're teaching things, the why behind it. Are there any other tips that you've seen really successful that, that coaches could steal? Well, I think the one that I know just working with coach Showalter on this book and, and his, um, his approach and watching his practices and those things, and he talks about this a lot. Um, so it's not definitely not, and a lot of people do it, but you know, his communication circle, um, is a way that he just talks about how it's amazing how much those kids open up. And I think that's maybe goes back to your question earlier about how does he connect with these kids? And so the communication circle 
uh, briefly um, is just, you know, essentially players gather in a circle after, after a practice session, um, they'll hold hands and they'll, they'll different ways you can do it. But essentially um, one, one way is, you know, if Don was holding one way he describes it is, you know, if he's holding a player's hand, you might turn to a player and, you know, ask him a question like, Hey, what, what's one thing in practice that your, your teammate to your right did good today. Okay. And then the player has to speak up and has to think of something good his teammate did and, and shares that. Um, and so they'll start with, and the way, again, he explains it this way, you know, they'll start it where it's an easy question or an easy question where it's not really personal because by the end of the, you know, week, couple weeks together or something, um, they'll ask questions that are, you know, something more personal. Like what's one thing you want your teammates to know that they would know. And then, you know, players really open up. And I think that's, that's another way where I think you can connect. It's a good, you got to have, you got to ask the right, I think the skill there is asking good questions and being able to be patient with, with that process a little bit. And, you know, Don's obviously got experience and good with that, but I'm guessing, I think that plays a little bit into some of his success with, with those elite players. And one other thing he does Again, these are kind of coming back to me a little bit now that we were talking about some other things, but you had asked earlier, you know, skills to connect with those players. I mean, they interview all those players too um, and in that setting. And, and so, the, again, they're getting to know them um, and getting to know how they respond. And, and so when they select, it's not always the best players. It's also, you know, who they think is going to be the best team. Um, so that I think, but that also allows for that interaction. Sure. Uh, you know, the teaching say it's an offense, the whole part, whole theory, you know, finding success and really what you're teaching, it could be great, but unless they buy in and understand, but let me throw it to you going to the classroom. Has there been a method that you have found successful that your students really understand the lesson of that day that you use? Yeah, without using a, like, you know, terminology really, I mean, cause there's definitely terminology on these things. Um, but the method that I, or the, I guess the approach that I found and I, I try to do it, um, as much as I can, um, is to present. And I don't think it's much different than coaching. You present something and then you practice it. Right. And so in a classroom, obviously you're not, it's harder to, you're not physically practicing, at least not, it's not an active activity class. If it's a, you know, a lecture type class, but trying to come up with something that's a, a activity directly after with not, not, not too long after it, talking about something. And so that's something I've adjusted as a, as a teacher. I don't, I talk way less and I try to get them doing something with it pretty quickly. Or I, and you know, so I'm never, it's never too long of an explanation and coaching. I know that's a, a tactic too. you know, just introduce it, get them moving. And um, it doesn't matter the level. I mean, I don't, who wants to sit and listen to, you know, somebody talk about something too long, uh, especially in athletics. So I think, um, yeah, that's, that's something I, I've, I've actually seen. It works really pretty well in class. I mean, as long as they're willing to engage in the activity um, and, and you do a good job of setting it up again, it's just, it's the same thing. You got to do a good job. Um, but yeah, I think that um, knowledge to application, that transfer um, and, you know, there's, that's that thing in coaching. I'm, I'm, I know you guys are aware of, of course, you know, that, can you transfer the practice information to a game like situation? And um, Yeah. Pete, you were talking earlier about um, observing a coach. What, what do you look for when, when you're watching a coach? And I guess, are there, what are the common traits of a successful coach? Despite the one loss record, 
what would, would you say are the common characteristics of a successful coach? Well, uh, well, some that wouldn't surprise you, I don't think. You know, presence. Um, the coach just has a presence in that environment. Uh, everybody knows that person's in charge, and not so much because they're loud or, you know, or demonstrative or anything like that. They're just, they just, they're, there's respect, and you know that 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 person's running that that environment, um, and so they're they're always the environment's the pace of the practice, that what's going on in the practice is is you know consistent. There's efficiency to it. Uh, if it's a practice session, um, there's that. I think so. The organization, you can see it. Uh, I mean, you, you can walk into any practice and kind of see see how someone's operating. I think pretty easily. Um, and get some pretty good ideas uh, about how how that program's run, right? Um, and so that the presence and then just the organizational part of it, uh, I think the energy today is is so important. Um, I think that is one thing that maybe has changed. Um, and you guys, you kind of see it on TV, I think, a little bit at the college level sometimes where, you know, these coaches go in the locker room and they're doing, uh, Mark Few does a handstand. And you know, some of these guys are, you know, and I don't, I'm not saying everybody that's, that's everybody's thing and, and that everybody should try to do those things, but there's something about that too, though. That's, that seems to be a little bit important to the youth connecting with them a little bit. I think, I think some of that's the video, the, the sharing, the, Hey, we got a video of our coach doing a handstand, you know, it's just, so that's another way. I think I, I would say a younger coach that has that is probably going to f- find success a little quicker in connecting with their athletes and, and, and doing those things, not that that's the way to only way to do it, but I mean, you got to do the other things too. But I think if you, you know, energy is something I really think has changed. Um, and it, cause we're all different. Like, like I'm not a raw, raw motivational kind of guy. I'm, I'm a, my energy comes from just preparation or, you know, and being ready and those kind of things. I would say that'd be my thing. And so I was always passionate about what I was a coach, but I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I was enthusiastic in a way, but it wasn't, it wasn't, in my behavior necessarily. Right. And, and I think you have to have a little of that behavior, maybe more so, um, not that just, just something I've observed, you know, I think it's just something that's out there. seems different to me, but. All three of us here are, are parents. And so we've had our children involved in sports. So this is really a two, a two part question. Number one, what can we, what do you advice do you give to parents in terms of how to support their coach? And secondly, when do you intervene? When do you, when do you contact, contact the coach and say, listen, we, we need to have a discussion here? Yeah. Um, so I think, I think, you know, support to me, I mean, the, the best, the way to support idea, ideal way to support is, is you know, from a distance, of course, uh, and in, in the activity in the competition setting. Um, and I'm really honestly not to talk to your kid while they're participating if possible. I mean, that's really the best, you know, encouragement, not, not instruction. Um, that's the ideal. That isn't always obviously the case. Um, so that would be, you know, the advice to parents that try to, you know, allow their, their child release them to the game is kind of the famous, the, the thing that we've heard a lot. Um, Bruce Brown, who does proactive coaching has, has said that for years, you know, that, Power releasing the child to the game. Um, I don't know if that's his thing or not, but it's something he's talked about a lot. Um, and and I think that I've always remembered that um, hard to do. Um, I know as a parent, and you guys are parents too. Like 
my daughter played basketball. Uh, I didn't coach her, but she played um, for a few years. And we did as parents, my wife and I, we, we, we released her. We did release her to the game. We just watched her and encouraged her. And, you know, it's hard to do, but I think it, it is so much more enjoyable. Um, so I guess having something like that and trying to explain what that maybe means, um, you know, so that would be my advice. Um, I think it's hard <laughs> for some parents, though. Um, as far as when to intervene, obviously the, the extreme is if there's anything, it's not it's not right, meaning it's not safe, it's not healthy, I, I think. Um, but really, the the way to intervene is probably through through their their uh, their through the administrator. Really, I mean, probably initially, if there's that kind of a concern, um, I would think be most appropriate usually just because you're dealing with something beyond beyond them a little bit but if it's something that is just know their policy i mean a good coach is going to have a policy for communication with parents i think right they're going to say this is how you contact me this is if you have a concern and and some are more open in it i'm sure you guys have talked about these things where you know some people are really afraid of the, the parent coach the coach is really afraid of the parent interaction and they avoid it um because they just don't want to deal with it it's not fun, <laughs> maybe, but others have been more proactive, you know, and they'll have a plan for it. And I, what everything I've heard, people who work with the parent coach aspect is just, you know, have a plan uh, how you're going to communicate and make sure. The, and the students should know that plan, and the and the coach, and the, sorry, the parents should know that plan. And once, well, I guess one strategy there that seems to work a lot is, is just tell me hey, if it's about playing time. You contact me. You have a concern about playing time. Your your child's going to be in the room with you. I mean, that's just how we're going to do it. And, and they said that really makes a difference because then they're just, they're just different when their kids there. Um, it may be more, more logical. I don't know, <laughs> um, but they said that works. So. Okay. So you've, you've been in, in the classroom, you've been in academia for a while, for a while. Tomorrow morning, the president of the college calls and says, Pete, um, we need you to, to take over as head coach uh, of uh, either men's team women's team what is what is it that what are the lessons that you're going to take from these past years of researching and, and, and working what are the immediate steps you would take and and, and the the biggest lessons that you would apply to now coaching yeah so if that was if that was a real situation and and, and i was in it um i mean the, the you know the first thing would be to, to kind of to get some support, I'm um, garner some support, and I mean, once again, go back to I want to know who the athlete. I'd want to get to know the athletes. I want to understand who they were and them understand the situation. But I would immediately be like, I need to do some learning because um, I mean, you, you get through the immediate situation. But if I was going to go back to coaching like that, I would need to to reengage with how to win, how to coach athletes, how to develop them, how to how to you know teach them to win and and be successful in the court, and so. Um, that's, I think kind of what I've sort of come to over, over the years. I think the one thing that I guess a personal example where I think I failed as a younger, as a coach moving up, well, I was a sub varsity coach in high school. I was going to college for six years. And so at that point I was probably on a pretty good trajectory to be a head high school coach and probably I was working with good coaches and, and probably could have been a fairly successful high school coach if I would have stayed with that path. Um, but I chased the college dream. And when I started chasing the college dream, the biggest mistake I made is I just quit learning. I didn't, I just didn't spend enough time learning because I had to do so many other things to get my foot in the door or other jobs to, you know, to pay the bills. Cause you know, you're not getting paid as a, as a 
assist in a lot of programs or something or not enough. And, and so I always think about that. I go, that was a mistake, you know, where I just, it just, and that's maybe just, I wasn't as interested in it. And that's why I evolved out of it possibly. But maybe if I'd have been in some different environments, maybe if I would have worked Snow Valley camp, or maybe if I would, you know, uh, which is kind of a funny story with that, because my coach I worked for, I was at a place called Humboldt State University, a guy by the name of Tom Wood was a longtime coach there. One summer, I asked him about summer camps, and, and I was setting up to do a bunch of summer camps. And he handed me a brochure of Snow Valley and said, you should go do this one. And I didn't take the advice. <laughs> I don't know if I got in, but I'll never forget that. I, I, so I have that brochure still. And I, I found it before I went out to watch, um, you know, Coach Showalter's Snow Valley. And I took it with me and showed it to him. Pictures of, like, back when he was probably coaching there. But um, but it was just kind of funny. I'll never forget. I was like, man, what a mistake that was. <laughs> so It sounds like exactly what I said earlier about my regrets not working Snow Valley and, and working, <laughs> uh, working five-star. Jeff, let's go ahead and, and kind of transition and get into some fun questions. So, Pete, I, I know you probably have a required reading list or required list of books for your students in your coaching classes. You know, obviously, your books um, – what are the what are the books you would recommend or that you suggest to your your students to read to to grow as a coach? Yeah, you know, I teach a little bit of coaching class. I don't teach as much as I would I would would love to do because um, our program's pretty varied. So I teach a lot of other things too. Um, so I don't get it to, to acquire as much reading as I would like, and unfortunately, it's getting harder and harder to get students to read. Um, and so, interesting change in in higher education is is a different approach there as well. Uh, but, but I would, you know, there's the classic ones. Um, I still, I still use the wooden on leadership book and wooden that wooden has a lot. Coach wooden had a lot of books that he was part of. Um, but the wooden on leadership book to me was kind of the one that sort of summarized his kind of who he was and, and some of his key things there, um, best. And so I have still used that in a couple of graduate classes on leadership, not on coaching, but on leadership and the students love it. I mean, they just it still resonates with them. Right. And so I, that book's kind of timeless to me. Um, more, I mean, there's a book by, uh, there's another one that Swin Nader wrote with, with coach Wooden. Um, you haven't taught until you've learned. Um, and that, again, these have been around a little bit. Um, but that, that one, I'm not sure I'm sure I've required it in class, but as far as I would, recommend it because just that philosophy uh, meant a lot to me as a teacher. Um, so I read, I got into that book after I was done coaching, but I thought it, it really resonated with me as an instructor, uh, my students, because that's just that reminder um, how important that is. And so again, I'm just I'm leaning on coach Wooden on those two. And those have been around because more lately kind of what happened to me. Um, so just to be fair, you know, when I started this project with Don was a lot of my reading was based on, uh, whether it was biographies or other things to help me do a, the best job I could write in this book. Um, and so everything from publishers, editing and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I really, so, I mean, I, as a, not a coach, but as a learner, you know, I was diving into what was important to me in that moment. So I think that that's an important thing I think is, you know, you, the information is out there. Um, and to do any kind of project, you just, you know, for sure for coaches that, like you said, Layson, I mean, it's there. That information's there. Um, you just need to access it, right? So. Okay. So now you you had an opportunity to to spend you know a lot of time around around Coach Showalter. If you were if you were given the opportunity to have that same experience with any coach in the world in any sport, 
who would you choose next? Do they have to be still living? Let, let's say living for now, and and or, or give me okay. give me let's do a top okay. two, top um, two or three, two or three. It could be it could be living living or deceased. Wow. Um, we could travel back in the time in the way back machine. We we can, we can get in the way back machine and also go back and, and spend time with them. Yeah. Okay. Um, I I would stay with the same sport. I think mainly just because um, from from just. Yeah, that's what I. That's why I still follow. There's there's definitely some other coaches that are very interesting and be fun to be around. I think just to see what they do. But but if I were to stay in the same sport, I mean, I think to be around someone like Pat Summit um, to get a perspective of, of how she did what she did for so long um, would be amazing. Um, I think there's um, others again. These are kind of ones that are more. I'm trying to think current one that pops out to me right now, and I'm not I'm not coming up with one. But I think you know. Um, just coaches that have sustained success and they're very different. I mean, you know, Phil Jackson has sustained success. That would be fascinating. Um, he's, I think they're just fascinating individuals. Um, and, and that's what kind of, I guess, interests me is this people that are sort of fascinating that on this, on the other side of that, there's other coaches out there. Um, um, there's a guy by the name of, and I'm going to say his name and I've never even talked to this. I, I've met him, but I've never talked to him about doing anything, but you know, there's, and he's retired. Um, there's a guy by the name of Dan miles at Oregon tech for years and years, very successful coach. I, I think he's probably in his eighties by now, but, um, but he, you know, I think that coaches have a lot to offer that, you know, in, in environments that people don't, you know, maybe know who they are, know about them as much. I mean, I've got, like I mentioned Ron Slaymaker and I've got to spend some time around him and just kind of studying what he does a little bit too. And I mean, that's a lot of fun and it's just amazing what you learn. And you know, it's, I guess I should really say this because you do a project like this and um, it, there's just so much value added to so many different people in, in a project like this that you don't expect. Um, Cause I just didn't, I never expected that it would happen. And I think one of the best things coaches could get out of maybe what, what I can share here that might be helpful is that when I was talking to players um, that Don coached in high school, um, you know, Don, Don would help me connect with players, but not, you know, he didn't have either. He didn't have maybe number on everybody or, you know, he's coached 42 years of high school. That's a lot of players. So those kind of things. So I was, I was trying to track down, you know, different players and a lot of people would help his former assistants and those kind of things. But I would also kind of go around a little bit just to see who else I could maybe talk to, not, not to investigative journalism or anything, but just to make sure, you know, cause there were some players that I, I thought, you know, I had pretty good careers. That I want to hear what that'd say. Um, and I got the impression, Don, Don be okay with me saying this, I'm sure, is that, you know, I got the impression that he didn't really know how some of those, what some of those players would say about him, you know? And I think, I think that's pretty common for coaches. They're not really sure about probably some of the players they coach. Like, what's this player really think of me, you know? And um, I kind of got that impression from him that there was somebody who just wasn't sure. And he was okay with it, but, you know, like, it's okay. I'm just a little worried. I'm not really sure. He didn't say that, but I could get that. And uh, some of the things they said were just of him. I mean, we're just unbelievable. Some of the best interviews I had and the conversation I had and the impact he had on their lives. I mean, I just think, I think for coaches, I guess my point here is that, you know, you're probably impacting more than you, than you believe you are, think you are. And those kids that you maybe, maybe even struggled with a little bit at that time have, have reflected back on it. And that's really what it was. It was reflecting back 20, 30 years and going, I was a dumb kid at that time. And 
man, you made a big difference in my life. And, and, and I think so the value added for this project like this, but the point, I guess the, the lesson or the takeaway for a coach listening to this or something would be, you know, recognize that you're making an impact um, and probably maybe more than you think you are. And, and don't, you know, so, but the value added for those people to be able to talk about that was, was something I didn't expect from writing this book. Like they appreciate the opportunity to just talk about it. And, and I didn't think that would happen. So that was, that was probably the coolest thing about writing this book. Um, and, and just his family too, you know, and the value it is for them to talk about it. And, and so those things are just, you don't, you don't go into it thinking that's what you're going to get out of it. And then, you know, you learn about yourself and you question yourself and you reflect things you're doing. Cause I'm around, I mean, he's a great teacher. And so I'm learning these things going, I could do this better and I could do that. So I mean, selfishly, I've gained, a, I, I gained a lot from this project. I mean, whatever happens with the book is great, but I mean, I, I've already got everything I could possibly get out of it. So, yeah. Jeff, is there, is there a coach outside of basketball that you would love to have that unlimited access with and, and be able to spend time with? Ooh. Quick answer that popped in my mind would have been Joe Torrey during the Yankee era's dealing with all the outside pressures of the New York Yankees, the day-to-day players, the New York media. And and Joe Torre always seemed to have a really level-headed approach. You know, and there were good times, but there were bad times. That would be the first one that would pop into my mind. I know there's books. You know, I'm not a soccer guy. But, you know, Anson and how he was the best at what he did, um, you know, so I would have to keep thinking, is there one that's got your interest peaked? You know, football is another sport that I've always liked. Um, and, and obviously it's very popular, but I've always enjoyed football. And so I'm always fascinated. Football coaches have such an interesting job, especially at a higher level, um, to try to manage everything they're managing. And so... You know, I think there's, um, you know, a Pete Carroll or, or someone like, you know, like that is, is cause he's, he's another guy that's been able to relate, you know, forever throughout his career. So I think those are just, uh, we can, you can take so much from people who have done it, um, and able to relate at that stage of their careers. Um, and so that those are the kind of people that fascinate me really. Yeah. yeah and most of these people have had failures. They haven't always been you know, the best of everything. Pete, is there a bit of advice you would give to someone who's pursuing a leadership role? Um, well, there's a couple. Th- one thing that really I always talk about a lot, I try to help my students with this because I think it's for them, it's something they don't always maybe realize is that, you know, do, do good work, but do your work on time, which I know seems like a really simple concept, but, but every time you do your, you know, you do your work on time, you build kind of a level of trust and it really does make a difference in, in your daily lives. Um, even at this stage of my life, you know, if, if I turn something in on time and obviously do good, I would say do good work and do it on time. I mean, you do the best work you can. Um, the, but the on time component is almost more important than the quality sometimes because, because then you're not holding somebody up or something. And so you just develop this, this, Hey, this person can get the job done. So I think that's something that is actually a leadership thing because you're going to, you know, develop that trust. So that, that's kind of a, that's kind of the big one. Um, I kind of mentioned it earlier a little bit, you know, with, with understand kind of who 
understand your environment and who you're fighting for, but also um, understand how you can, I mentioned, un- provide value um, in your situation, I think is really, whether you provide value as a leader to those you're working with or as somebody who's working for someone else. I, I really believe that you can um, grow as a, a person and, and probably propel your career if you, whatever environment you're in, let's say your assistant coach, what can you do to help that program be better? Not take from it so much, right? I mean, but what are you providing that, in this case, maybe head coach, um, to make their life better, easier? Uh, what are you going to, so you can build that goodwill? Because what's going to happen is um, if you do a good job and you provide value and you give something, you, you're probably not going to get credit for it. That coach is going to get credit for it or whatever. But, but they're going to remember it and they will forever remember it. And I, I know that, I mean, I, I think that's true. And so they, they will be your, one of your greatest resources and uh, references. And so, um, and you learn from it too, but, but I think that's hard to do a little bit sometimes you want credit for something. Um, but, but if you can provide that value and not, and not look for the credit uh, and be okay with that, especially earlier, you know, on until it's maybe your turn, but um, I think it can really help you. So that, that'd be my advice. I have one more before we get to some fun, Layson. Pete, what life lesson did you learn the hard way? Um, I've learned a lot of lessons probably the hard way. <laughs> um, I think I talked about it a little bit before. I think that... I always, and I don't know that it's a, again, I don't think it's a bad trait, but I think I always believe that you can, you can do something or create something, or maybe it's going to work out. And I, I don't, it can, and it might, and you learn a lot about yourself in the process, but it might not have been, it might not have been, it might not be the best. I think the balance is a little more important. Um, and I've definitely gone too far. I think you learn a lot about yourself when you go too far one way, but in terms of just striving for something or working hard for something, but I've definitely learned it definitely, you know, missed on some other opportunities maybe because of that. So yeah, that'd be one for sure. All right, Layson, you ready to have some fun here? Let's roll. Let's roll them out. All right, Pete. Favorite color crayon in the big box? Uh, Green, just regular green. Okay. (laughs) What would be your favorite season? It used to be fall, but I'm becoming more and more uh, probably a summer person. Yeah. All right. Favorite restaurant? Uh, we got a little place here in uh, Clarkson called, uh, it's a little bar, kind of a bar and grill uh, called Hogan's. My wife and I go there. That's our spot. So right now that's the favorite spot. <laughs> All right. Best TV show that you binge watched? Wow, this is going to date me, but um, date me, and, and some people might question it. But you know, I something about the the Friends series. Um, it's it's sort of a mindless thing, so I enjoy it. <laughs> All right, here's my last one: vacation spots. One week, one month, one year. What are the three places you're going to? One week, one month. Um. If I just had a week, we actually would probably go with my, my wife and we'd probably go back to, we, we love Northern California. So we have a spot there where 
where we met and everything. We so that probably where I would go for, for, for a week. Um, if I was going to go for a month, I love Lake Tahoe. Um, and it's just, just a place we spent some time. And so that would be my month, my month place. But if I was going to go for, you said a year, a year. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely go somewhere warm and tropical. Um, but in my life, I've not had a lot of too many travel experiences to those places. I've been to Hawaii and things, but so I might still need to find that place. I think <laughs> to be announced. I love it. Yes. I love it. Layson, what do you got up your sleeve for Pete? Oh, I, I really, I really don't have anything else. I, I thought maybe we'd just go ahead and get the the numbers, pull out the numbers, and uh, hit them with a couple of those. Awesome. All right, Pete. We have a top twenty-five. So pick a number from one to twenty-five, and we'll give you a, a few rapid fires. Pick a number. Okay. Um, let's go with twelve. Number twelve. Have you ever ordered takeout to avoid doing the dishes? Yes. Christmas or Thanksgiving? Christmas. Favorite sports movie? Hoosiers. <laughs> what a way to close. That's a perfect. It's like we set it up, Layson. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. No, that was no, that was that was super Pete. Uh please share with uh with the listeners where they can get your books where they can communicate and interact with you. And best way to, to reach out to you. Uh, yeah. You know, I am on Twitter um, just at Van Mullen underscore Pete. Um, the books are from different places. We have a, I don't know that you can just cornfields, the gold medals is the name of the book uh, co-authored with Don Showalter there. Uh, and, you know, to be a better coach is the name of the other book from Rowan, Roman and Littlefield. Um, and the other one is a national standards for sport coaches, more of a guidebook um, that's through Shape America. So those would be the places to, to find them. Great. Pete, again, thank you so much for taking time out of your, your schedule to, to spend time with us and, uh, and just all the best with the release of the book and, and with the research and everything you're doing. What, is, is there a fourth book? Any, anything else in the, in the, in the works now uh, that we should look forward to down the road? Uh, there is, but it's probably a little early for uh, too much information on that. But it's not a biography, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't gotcha, have gotcha. Well, hopefully we'll get the, we can be we can get the scoop uh, in the future. Uh, again, Pete, thank you so much for for doing this. You're welcome, and thanks for having me on. It's great to be with you guys tonight. Thank you for listening to the fifth quarter conversations beyond the X and O's with your hosts, Layson Perkins and Jeff Osterman. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave comments on social media. 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 Media.